Welcome to the Adventuring for Mere Mortals podcast. I'm Kyle, joined by co-host Trevor, and today we're interviewing Andy Wagner. Andy likes to be on the go. She likes to do triathlons, Spartan races, ruck races, but with the twist that she does them at the ultra level, which means take your normal standard race and extrapolate it out to hundreds of miles over multiple days. I know, sounds crazy, but we'll just let her explain. Trev? So our uh, guest this month is an old friend of mine, Andy Wagner. Um, We met, uh, it's probably, what, 12, 13 years ago, maybe something like that. It's in that ballpark anyway, when we were both really big into the obstacle racing scene. So we were on the same team together. And recently after we all did ragbri somebody was like oh hey trevor did you see this garmin gravel worlds thing and i was just like no and i kind of looked at it and like it was a weird coincidence like a little bit later maybe a day or two later i was on facebook and i don't go on facebook much and i saw i was like oh shit andy just did this so i'm like oh man i gotta okay we gotta get Andy on to talk about all of her crazy endurance things they're not crazy just i'll call them i'm gonna call them ultra endurance because it's just all kinds of endurance things is that a is that a safe way crazy crazy is a legit word to use it yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right but yeah so andy you've done obstacle races triathlons rucks i believe you've done the spartan death race at least a couple times um and now (laughs) ultra distance gravel racing and i'm sure i'm missing something but like if it's really hard to do and it takes a long time, it sounds like you've done it or at least thought about doing it. And on top of that, you also have the stressful job of being a a veterinarian as well. So we're going to talk about these ultra endurance things or crazy endurance things, and then maybe talk about some adventuring with pets, do's, don'ts types of stuff. That sounds cool. Yeah. Andy, I mean, tell us a little about yourself. Like that's my really quick resume for you that I put together, but I'm sure I missed something. Well, that's that's a pretty good resume, I'd say. You you did better than I would do myself, I'd think. So, but uh, yeah, my name is Ande Wagner, and I was born and raised in a little town called Bourbonnet, Illinois, and I live there again after traveling around for a little bit. But I've come back home, uh, and it's nice to be back. I've been here for a few years now. Uh, I am a small animal veterinarian. Graduated in 2005, so I've been practicing for a little over 18 years now. I own a practice in uh, a town just north of where I live called Mantino, and uh, we're coming up on, oh gosh, I think it'll be eight years next year that we've been open, and it's a successful practice, and I'm very, very happy to have an amazing staff that helps to support me. Um, As far as my hobbies and whatnot, I have always been an outdoorsy person. I was uh, the classic latchkey um, Gen Xer, where at the age of six, my folks gave me the house keys and said, here you go, kid. We'll be home in a few hours. We got to go to work. <laughs> so 
anything that got me out of the house is what I wanted to do. So um, as long as I was home, well, everybody says, okay, as long as you're home by the streetlights, when the streetlights come on, right? <laughs> Mine was not the streetlights. Mine was a farm bell. My dad actually hooked up a very <laughs> large bell in the backyard that could be heard from a mile radius all the way around. And if that bell started ringing, I had 10 minutes to get home. So, and that is how I learned to run fast. <laughs> and long distances. And long distances. Yeah, that was my my start into that was I had 10 minutes to get home from the sound of the bell. And if I was not home in 10 minutes, well, you could imagine what happened. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my early start into sprinting. <laughs> I kind of joke around about that. But, yeah, otherwise I was everywhere. I was out in the back of the cornfields. I was out riding horses. I was swimming and on a bike that I bought at a garage sale because I'd saved up my money for the last three months or whatever it was from doing chores. And I bought like a $50 10 speed or something like that and <laughs> decided I wanted to ride a bike and yeah, you name it. I was outside. Um, I've been racing, racing, and I use that in air quotes because I'm certainly not a professional, but you know, I've been doing races for about 21 years. Um, so I'm old by comparison, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of have a, a busy, but exciting life. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm sure we're going to get into a bunch of fun stories about all these crazy, crazy things, but oh, before we get did. into that, <laughs> <laughs> before we get into that, let's do a little bit of a catch up. Like, as I say, pretty much every episode, Kyle and I, we don't talk that much, especially this month. Kyle's been really, really busy. He's been a busy, important guy. So I have, we barely been able to text. So Kyle, what have you been up to, man? Well, uh, you know, last episode I talked about building the camper van and it was going to go on its inaugural, inaugural adventure. Well, that was its inaugural and final adventure. Um, I hit a reindeer, uh, in very rural West Virginia, um, so rule that I had to send the state troopers, the tow truck and everything, GPS coordinates, because they all called me and said, <laughs> uh, where are you? Uh, can you, is there any like waypoint the van it's on the side of the road? Um, <laughs> but, but the deer actually came from above my field of view <laughs> off of an embankment, oh. white line, one hop, bunk. Uh, luckily, uh, my friends were still back in camp, only about half an hour, 40 minutes away. And so we were able to remove everything from the van in about 20 minutes once they showed up, loaded it up. And uh, my buddy Rex is like, let's take the tires. And I was like, no, they've got to tow it. But we should have taken the tires and we should have taken the battery and we should take other things because uh, <laughs> they actually towed it. Let's see, I was about three hours away from home, and they towed it six hours away from home. They actually towed it three hours away uh, to a salvage yard. So I I knew it was done for whenever they did that. Um, But, yeah, so that was right after that episode, all pumped about that. This is awesome. Um, And then ended up having to deal with that um, and just been working, working way too much. Uh, so we're hiring, um, and have been hiring. And so 
we had 23 interviews that we're currently working through for one position. Oof. So <laughs> that's why I've been uh, uh, kind of MIA because it's just there's no time for anything else besides um, that. But good news is I'm prepping for winter. Um, got one ski trip planned and one mountaineering trip. Um, I bought new skis last weekend. We had the ski swap here, and I lucked out. I've got, I think they're 2022 model skis. And I was like, these things look like they're pretty much new. Bindings and all for $375. I looked them up, and they're $1,200 skis. Nice. Yep, I I definitely made out there. Um, And then, let me see. What's, What's up next? Uh, I got the fireplace installed in my house, so that was uh, that was a nice thing. Ready for winter, uh, looking forward to that, and uh, been doing some camping or more glamping, uh, just trying to get out and and do some stuff in between work. But what about you, Trev? Um, the biggest thing is we got a new puppy, so we have a a black golden doodle named Sophie, and I think my wife got the dog thinking it was going to be her dog, but now I'm working at home right now. And that dog is just my dog now. Like it hangs out with me in the office when I'm working. It tries to get me to stop going to meetings and play. It wants to play all the time. So doing very puppy things, wanting to play all the time. She's very bitey because she's teething. So she wants to chew on you. Luckily, she's not chewing on like electrical cords and stuff like that. So that's pretty good. But um, yeah, she's a cutie growing like a weed. We're not used to big dogs because our other dogs we've had have been terriers that are like 20 pounds. She's going to be like 75, 80 pounds when she's full oh, grown. Wow. So that's a big change. Like, Wasn't I with already... you whenever yeah. she? Yeah, <laughs> you were with me when my wife texted me. It's like, hey, uh, we're getting a puppy. I'm like, she had mentioned it. She had mentioned it before, but not in like concrete terms. She's like, yeah, I just signed up to get that puppy. I'm like, okay, she's a cutie. And she's as big as my kids or bigger than one kid and almost as big as the other one now. So she just like is big and puppy and doesn't know, understand how big she is and just runs into everybody. So it's real cute. <laughs> but other than that, um, yeah, I found out I don't have to go out to the rig for the rest of the year, which is pretty great. So I'm just going to be hanging out at home and even on a regular schedule. So I won't even be working my 14 day on 14 day off. I'll be on like normal office schedule because I'll be working with people in the office, which is great. And that, and I've been getting more out as many outdoor rides as I can on my bike before it gets cold and I bring it inside and hook it up to the trainer for Zwift season to start again. So that's about all I've been up to <laughs> on day. What about you? Well, to kind of mirror what you just said, Trev, um, I also got a new dog. And uh, yeah, my so I actually tragically lost my my Doberman Dodge a few months ago. He uh, actually died of a heart aneurysm, which is pretty rare, but sudden and uh, definitely not expected. So about a month ago, one of my employees was out walking her dog and lo and behold, a little red Doberman comes running out of the woods and wants to play so she (laughs) grabbed her and brought her into work the next day and she's like dr wagner look what i found and i peeked around my office wall window and went is that really a doberman that you have sitting next to you (laughs) 
So anyway, we scanned her for a chip and the chip actually went back to our local animal control. And apparently she is very well known by animal control for running at large from her previous <laughs> owners. And I won't get into the specifics mm -hmm. of that, but long story short, she's mine now. And uh, <laughs> she's been mine for about a month and her name is Dee Dee, and she is awesome. I just absolutely adore her. And she is definitely my dog um my <laughs> better half rick works from home and so she does hang out with him while he's working but the second that i walk through the door it's pretty much like he never existed <laughs> so so yeah she's definitely my girl and i absolutely adore her so yeah i've got a new dog too and um i am also delaying swift rides for as long as possible yeah you're currently doing what i affectionately call outrun the sun rides mm -hmm. uh, so it's mm -hmm. Get home from work, change clothes as fast as you can, get out there, and then it's an all-out sprint until, you know, basically we get back home. So it's an hour of just trying to chase the sunset. So we have a really good time doing that, but I have a feeling next week I'm going to have to put that sucker on the trainer, and I'm yeah. not looking forward to it. Yeah. Because there's nothing like being outside. I mean, we all know no, that, but uh, I'll have to find same. you on Zwift. We can yeah, definitely. Do some group rides or something. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I that's pretty much the two big things that I'm doing right now. I'm still kind of recovering from gravel worlds. I'm really not on a training schedule and kind of enjoying it. It's yeah. I've been so regimented for so long that it's nice to just do what I want for a little bit before jumping back into things. Um, yeah. And then I guess uh, I actually just recently learned a, a couple months ago that apparently I got awarded alumnus of the year of my high school. So there's awesome. a big ceremony for that in a couple of weeks. And they're like, oh, and you need to do a speech for that. And I, and I what? I got to do what? <laughs> so I have to start working on a speech, I guess. So, um, so yeah, I've got that in about two, three weeks or something. So that's kind of exciting. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that means we can start asking Andy all kinds of questions. So... Um, I'll do my, my normal starter and then I think we'll go straight into Garmin gravel worlds. Cause we've mentioned it a couple of times. I don't want to keep people hanging, yeah. but so the one I normally start with because, and I start with this because most people actually, I think everybody we've talked to don't just like wake up and go and just wander outside into the woods. Like usually they're introduced by somebody or like a family member or a friend. So like, what was your introduction to doing like outdoor things? Definitely my family. Um, the The men in my family were big outdoorsy people. Um, again, Gen X latchkey kid. So when I was being watched by people, it was usually my grandparents. And my mm -hmm. grandfather was real big on just being outside. So we would always go walking together. And one of the one of my favorite memories is actually in the springtime going down to one of the local ponds and catching tadpoles and pollywogs and raising them into toadlets and froglets nice. and then letting them back go. So I was crawling in ponds from the time <laughs> I could walk and, you know, stunk like seaweed and all that other fun stuff and algae. And it was fun and it was great. Um, my dad, huge outdoorsman, fisherman, loved boating, loved hiking. Um, he, he loved camping. So we did all of that as a child, uh, you know, as I was growing up. So that was really kind of my big introduction. Um, but really, as long as I can remember, I, I will take being outside over inside any day of the week. Um, yeah. And I don't even, I hate the cold. Everybody knows I hate the cold, but I would rather be outside <laughs> and cold than inside and bored. Yeah, there, I said it. 
<laughs> I feel that. I'm with you. <laughs> well, that's great. So we'll get into the the general crazy endurance questions later, but I need you to explain what the event you did at the gravel worlds, because like I had to read it twice until I like fully like why anybody would do this, what this is. So take it away. Okay. So um, first off, I will give props to the Garmin gravel worlds race staff. They are second to none on taking care of every single racer that is out there from the first place finisher all the way to the last place finisher. They super top notch. So highly recommend going and doing their event or one of their affiliated events. Um, and it does not have to be the 300 mile race that I did. They have a 50 K only 31 miles folks. You can do that. Um, so anyway, Garmin gravel worlds is in, in and around Lincoln, Nebraska. It starts in Lincoln, uh, and it (laughs) proceeds to go all over the place, but they have got distances from, like I said, 50 K all the way up to the 300 mile long voyage, which is what I did. And, uh, the long voyage starts on Friday night at 5 PM and it is a 30 hour time cutoff and there's no sleeping unless you really want to sleep, but with 15,000 feet of elevation climb and 90% of the roads being true gravel with some minimum maintenance roads in there as well. Um, you really don't have time to sleep. It, it's just, yeah. you keep going until you're finished. And the race this year actually went into Iowa. So it's one of only a few multi-stater races that I've done, which nice. is pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, we went uh, west or sorry, east into Iowa. And then it trekked north for a little bit before heading back west into uh, Nebraska. And then it kind of shuttled back around into Lincoln uh, for the finish, but um, definitely a surreal experience. Again, I, I love the long game and the, the reason why I love the long game is because I would rather do 300 miles at a zone two effort than yeah. 10 miles at a zone five. I, it's just painful <laughs> to, yeah. that's a different kind of pain anyway. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that I like about the long game is, is just the mental aspect of it. Uh, a lot of it you're by yourself. So you just have kind of time to reflect and think about things that you wouldn't otherwise think of. Um, so I had a lot of time out there to think about stuff uh, while I was out there doing the race. And um, I will also say that race is 100% self-supported. Um, there was one official checkpoint at the Garmin gravel checkpoint, which for me was around mile 250. So yeah, you're a fair bit into the race by that point. And um, otherwise you had to rely on gas station stops to get water and food. And the race director, Jason actually opened up his parents' house in Iowa at around the, I think it was around one mile 115, uh, give or take which I got there at one in the morning or something of that nature. And and there were people there and they were ready to receive this. And they had Casey's pizza, which was like the best thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. It was so great. Um, But yeah, otherwise self-supported and uh, there, there was a lot of like, what am I doing right now? Why, why am I doing this (laughs) right now? Um, But really, truly a lot of fun. And, um, it, it, I'm, I know it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, but it, it was, um, I was actually having the time of my life until I got about 45 miles from the finish line. 
And then my ass was ready to be out of that saddle. Mm. I was just <laughs> done by that point. If it was a 250 mile race, it, it would have been like, Let, oh, let's go do that again. Right. And then I get to mile 300. <laughs> I go, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> so. Yeah, Switched from type two to type three fun. <laughs> oh, for real. <laughs> that is an insanely long bike ride. Like on Ragbra, I think uh, the longest day that I think I had in there was with all the going around after the day was, I think it was like 108 miles and my butt was sore after 108 and you did that basically three times. So kudos to you. Interestingly enough, it, that was the longest time I've spent in the saddle, but it's not the longest distance that I've ever done. Really? Long, yeah, I've done 336 when I did the triple anvil back in 2018. Wow. So it, it was almost as long, but not quite. But if, if you want to go by time, then it was the longest because you were definitely not moving as fast on gravel, especially when mm -hmm. there's that kind of elevation. So yeah, it was, it was memorable and I'm really, really glad that I did it uh, again, like check the thing off the bucket list yep. and <laughs> that next thing. Yep. Move on. Yep. Don't need to do it again. No, but that's cool. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause it's just a, it's a really, it's a unique event. Like gravel is kind of blown up by the amount of people that are doing gravel now. Yeah. And I'm I'm in that same group. Uh, gravel's so much fun. It, it really is. It's so much I don't know. It just kind of embodies freedom to me when, mm -hmm. when you're on a road bike and again, I'm a, I'm kind of a cyclist by nature. That's kind of what I do. But when you're on a road bike, there's always the worry of, okay, what's that car coming up behind me going to do? And, oh gosh, this guy's cutting me off because there's a, a turn up ahead and he doesn't want to wait for me to get by. So he's slamming around around me and slamming on his brakes. And uh, there's just always stuff you have to worry about when you're on the road, particularly when it comes to high speed vehicles but when you're on gravel mm -hmm. i think i can count on one hand the number of cars that i see in the hours that i am out there and yeah. you're on backcountry roads where it's a lot more open and naturalistic and there's no city and buildings and you know stuff that just blocks your view and you can just at least for me mm -hmm. see for miles because i live in flatlandia uh, so <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and even like right now when I go out, yes, I'm seeing combines and harvesters and, and whatnot, but I don't know. That's actually kind of nice for me to see too, because then I go, cool. The corn's coming down. I can actually see around corners now. It's yeah. great. Yeah. So, uh, um, I have that same thing about what is about, uh, July is when the corn gets tall enough that you have to like really slow down when you come up to those country exactly. corners. Yeah. So I'm always happy when harvest season is here and I can still ride outside. I could go, yes, I can see the corners and not have to worry about vehicles, but you don't really have to worry about that on gravel because there's no traffic. So mm -hmm. it, again, it's just really freeing and the bike's more comfortable in general. Um, yeah, I just, I love everything about it. And every time that I get out on that bike, people actually remark on it. They're like, you're just smiling. You're just having a good time. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're damn right. I'm having a good time out here. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad that I got into it because I've really only been doing it for a little over a year. Um, so it's, it's kind of new to me, even though I'm not a new cyclist, if you will, mm -hmm. but I just, I really like the atmosphere of it. The people that do it are very much like what ultra runner athletes are. They're just yeah, they're still competitive, but they're way more laid back. Mm -hmm. There's that uptight race mode thing is just really not always there. And 
everybody's really encouraging and helpful. And yeah, I, I just really like the vibe. And, and to that point, going back to the race staff at Gravel Worlds, again, 30 hour cutoff, right? There were a couple of racers that decided to finish, even though they were not within the 30 hour time limit, they just wanted to be unofficial finishers. Two of the people, I think one finished in 45 hours and the other one finished in 47 and the race directors waited for wow. them. I mean, I don't know of any other race staff that has ever sat around and waited oh. for those people to come in and they waited. And that to me is like, I'm going to come back and do that race again to support that because yeah. that's awesome. You know, so yeah, that's so yeah go do it, please go do Garmin Gravel Worlds, go support that, that whole crew because they are pretty flipping amazing. Yeah, it's on my radar for sure. I'll go I want to <laughs> back up with the yeah. triple anvil that you just nonchalantly said, oh, yeah, 337 <laughs> mile bike ride. What she failed to mention is that it is a triathlon with a seven and what is that? Like seven and a half? No, seven and a seven, quarter mile 7. swim. 7.2 7. 7. mile swim. And then. Let's do the math. 78.6 mile run. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I did that. Is there no a cutoff biggie. for that? Uh, yes. I think the cutoff for that was 58 hours. Something like that. Yeah. And then, and again, there's no sleeping for, for that one. Well, I mean, you have to sleep at some point along the way, mm. but the clock still runs. You're not, you don't get like a, yeah. Oh, time out. You can take a nap now. You just keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, into, I went and did that. <laughs> that gets into like hallucination zone for I a actually amount of people. have a, I have an interesting story about the hallucination thing. Um, so this, that was the first year actually that the swim got canceled. I still went and did the swim. I did it the day before because I, I wanted to say that I did the whole thing. And I believe I was the only racer that went and did that. So I kind of went into the actual race with a bit of a deficit because I had already expended some energy the afternoon before doing the swim. And uh, so we get on the, the bike after doing a one mile run to kind of space everybody out. And we start banging out the miles. And um, I believe I was second off the bike and onto the run and the, the wheels just very quickly started to fall off because I had been up for, I think about 29 hours uh, by that point, when you include the time that I was awake to prep for the race and get everything mm -hmm. ready to go and stuff like that. So right around hour 2930 is when Ade gets cranky and uh, <laughs> things just like everything hurts and this is stupid and why am I here? And, and why did you guys talk me into doing this race? Oh wait, I did that to me, you know? So um, anyway, Shane, who was one of my amazing friends that decided to crew for me, uh, he finally talked me into taking a nap and I laid down in the back of his van and uh, tried to get comfortable. And, you know, I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with like when you've been moving that long, your body, it's like getting off of a ship after you've been on a cruise for a week, mm. your body still feels like it's moving, even though you're not. And I just could not turn my brain off to fall asleep. So Shane comes and checks on me about 45, 50 minutes in. And, and I'm like, look, I haven't even attempted to sleep yet i'm like give me another hour and this was me after arguing with him that i didn't want to sleep now i'm like yeah i need to sleep so i finally doze off 
and I have this dream and it's my dad and my dad actually passed away several years ago, but it, it's my dad. And I, I see him reaching for me and grabbing me by my arm and he goes, wake the hell up. You've got shit to do. And I sit up, you know, I shoot out of my, my deep slumber and I look at my watch and it really had only been about 10 minutes that I was actually sleeping but I felt like a completely different person. Uh -huh. I like all the pain was muted. Everything was good to go. And I walk back out to Shane who was surprised to see me because he was only there not 10 minutes before. And I go, let's go, let's go do this. And uh, I was able to bang out the rest of the, the miles. And I had gone, I went from fourth place to second. So I finished, wow. finished second overall in, in that race. First time in the history of the ultra um, triathlon that we know of where the top two finishers were women. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I got beat by an ex pro <laughs> oh, and oh. I'm quite okay with that. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. The only person that beat me used to do this professionally. No big deal. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. She was an ex <laughs> ex professional triathlete and, uh, yeah, she, she crushed me, but she crushed everybody out there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, Definitely, again, a unique experience. Check the list. Mm -hmm. Moving on. <laughs> so you kind of touched on this earlier, but I, I guess I just want to know why, why, why these like crazy long, like mul like sometimes multiple day events. Like most people, if the like most people that get into running. Their longest run is they do a marathon. They're like, yep, happy with the marathon. Maybe run a bunch of marathons and they're completely content with just a marathon. What is your why, your driving force that says, I need to do more? I need to go further. Um, so yeah, like like I mentioned before, I would I would rather go low and slow for super long periods of time than at breakneck speeds for short periods, because it's it's not that I don't like speed. I just don't, it's not fun for me and I don't get paid to do this. This is not my job. <laughs> uh, I want to go do things that I think are fun. And, uh, for, for me, I don't know why, but the long game is just, it's just a blast for me. And, and the other thing that I really like about it is that it requires a certain mental mindset to be successful in ultra events, I mean, that, that whole old adage, oh, it's 90% mental. It's mm -hmm. probably 50, 50, it's probably 50% mental and 50% physical. Cause I really don't think anybody could just walk up to a hundred mile race and go, yeah, I'm, I'm mentally prepared. Let's go do this. You know? So, <laughs> um, I, I just, I like the way that my brain works when I'm doing something like that. Um, it actually has allowed me to solve some problems in my head that were longstanding that I wasn't able to figure out earlier in the week or earlier that month. Um, the other thing that I really like is because a lot of these events do go through the night. There's just something about working out, running or cycling or hiking or whatever in the middle of the night, because the only world that you see is whatever your headlamp is illuminating. And it just kind of makes everything come in and seem so much smaller. And for me, the problems in my life go away. Everything just kind of dissipates. And all you see is just what's in front of you. And um, 
I don't know, doing these events just really kind of give my life a bit of a perspective where the the little things that are supposed to bug us really just don't get to me all that much. And when I find that they do start getting to me, it usually means I'm long overdue to go do one of these races again, <laughs> just to help put things back into perspective. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really, yeah, I just, I like the whole package that comes with the, the long game. It's just fun. Yeah. Like I, I align with you a lot on the, the night part. Cause like when, well, especially when I was in grad school and I had a really wonky sleep schedule, like I would go to bed at 3am pretty much every night. But when I would go out and run, I would start running at 11 or midnight and just run for a couple hours and it was in Chicago or north of Chicago. So I was like street lamps and stuff, but it was, it's eerie how quiet and peaceful it is. And you're the only person out there. It'd be real weird if I, I would randomly run into somebody out there that time of night, never any runners, just me usually, mm -hmm. but it was very peaceful. And like you said, it's, you're by yourself. And it's I like those individual times, like my, my me time. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my friends. I love Rick, my better half, but I also do like having those moments where I'm by myself. I've actually, when I was training for a lot of these events, I'd have some friends that would come along and they'd go, we, we want to go do the night ride with you. All right, cool. Come on. And they would go on and on about how much fun they had. And like, we had no idea it would be this much fun to be riding in the middle of the night. I'm like, yeah, see, that's why I go do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is just, I don't know, if you haven't gotten up in the middle of the night and thrown a headlamp on your bike and go for a bike ride, just go do it. It's fun. Highly recommend. Nice. <laughs> All right. Where do we want to go from here? So, yeah, I guess how, yeah, I guess like anybody, you probably started small and you worked up to these longer events how do you even get these on your radar because like they're not like a popular thing to do like i think it's like you need to know you hear some from somebody it's like oh yeah i did this this thing oh you should come and do this thing too is it like that or that's exactly how it was yeah <laughs> yeah i was i was doing you know what what mere what everybody would say normal stuff so <laughs> 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. I had done a few marathons by this point too. And um, sprint and Olympic distance triathlons. I don't think I had jumped into half Ironmans yet. Um, or maybe I was training for my first one. I don't I don't remember. But my buddy Craig, uh, out of nowhere one day, sends me this message. And he goes, hey, this looks like something that's up your alley. Um, and it was www.youmaydie.com. <laughs> <laughs> right so i click on the link and it's for the spartan death race and that was kind of my first foray into oh wow there's stuff out there more than just like half marathons and marathons and and i knew about ultra trail races and stuff like that it just i don't know i never really looked into it but that was kind of my first foray into going oh wow this thing's like 60 hours plus long this could be absolutely amazing and we have no idea what's going to happen next this is this is my cup of tea right so uh yeah that that really is kind of what lit the fire for me for the the weird and unusual ultra stuff um and then through 
the people that I had met at that race. Uh, I had a buddy of mine uh, that I raced alongside who also does uh, or did triathlons. And he messaged me one day and he goes, Hey, check this out. And it was for the triple anvil in Virginia. And he goes, you need to go do this. I go, you're damn right. I need to go do this. <laughs> so that's kind of what started me down that path. And then for gravel worlds, my buddy, Greg, a couple, oh gosh, that was about 18 months ago. Again, he sent me a message going, Hey, check this out. You need to go do this. You're damn right. I need to go do this. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm easily talked into things. Are you realizing this now? So um, it doesn't take much to twist my arm to go, Oh, this is a race that you should totally go do. So yeah, it's usually my friends. They're very bad influences. <laughs> so you know, it's a race it's... that you should totally go do. Do the tell. Mount Taylor Quadrathlon. It's a winter quadrathlon where you race from Grants, New Mexico to you bike until the pavement ends and then you run until the snow starts and then you snowshoe or no, you ski cross country ski up to within 400 feet of the summit. You tag the summit and then you come back down, you snowshoe back down, ski down and do it all in reverse and into town. And then you can double that with the Mount Taylor 50 K and you get a scarf if you do it in the same year. A scarf? Yep. Whoa. So that's it. where they hooked me. So <laughs> I've done the, the quadrathlon. Uh, we did it in college on a whim. And then uh, I was supposed to do the 50K one year with a buddy. He ended up placing second. And he sends me this email and he's like, Hey, thanks for getting me back into ultra running and everything like that. I had a hoot. And that's how he described it. And he was like, I was winning until I hit, you know, the peak and I came around. And then uh, her name is Michelle. I actually know her from the quadrant, but she flew past and he goes, I tried to keep up with her and she just burned me out. There is no way that I was going to keep up with her. And she ended up winning, but I got second, you know, solid showing. I was like, dude. <laughs> That is pretty epic. <laughs> and I am a horrible skier, but send me the information for that race anyway. I might learn. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Uh, you take a shot at the very top. You know, on the way down, they've got a group. And, yeah, it's, it is it is a race where the whole town turns out and supports it. And that's the cool thing. That's cool. And you ride out past a prison on the way to town and I was apparently in last place on the bike because I was using a borrow bike. I had never ridden it before. And <laughs> as I rode by, they're all out there going, yeah, run, because it was me and a cop. <laughs> and we were just going. <laughs> the irony is not lost on yes. you there. Yes. <laughs> That sounds amazing. You need to send me that event link. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so you both mentioning women winning races, that gets me to thinking. So at least my impression of the stereotype of these type of ultra endurance type of things is it's mostly guys. Am I, am I correct in saying that? Or is yeah, that just I, the stereotype? Say, um, especially when it comes to cycling. Uh, pure cycling events it is far for far more male than female um ultra triathlon i would say it's probably 60 40 male to female 
okay. uh, or maybe 70-30. There's a little bit more women rep representation uh, in the ultra tri world. Um, ultra running is actually really up and coming for the women. That's, That's awesome. Oh, man. And, and the women are rocking it. Uh, yeah. this year i mean there's been course records that are falling left and right it's it's just insane but um yeah cycling is definitely a male dominated sport uh, the one benefit to that is uh my bathroom line is a lot shorter than it is for the men <laughs> that's great <laughs> it is well that's, that's a one that's nice a perk of being yeah, the, the sure. minority out there but um but yeah it, it is definitely more of a, a male dominated event when it comes to, to cycling. I don't mind it though. The guys are all very welcoming. Um, again, That's especially good. in the gravel community, they are so helpful and encouraging. And when I was having questions, they were, they did not even hesitate to ask and offer help. And, um, and none of it was mansplaining any of it or, or whatnot. They were, it, it was exactly what I needed. And um, I don't, feel out of place when I That's tow the cool. line next to the guys, they, they welcome me with open arms and I've never had an issue um, or felt like I didn't belong there. Well, so that's, that's, that's good to hear. Cause yeah, that's it's, what I it's always really, kind of worry about. Yeah. <laughs> I, guys, I hear you. Yeah. We have a tendency it's, it's to be nice assholes. To, yeah. It's nice to be among people that, that want you to be there. Um, and it, it does also seem like the cycling world is trying to make some motions to encourage women to get out there and go, especially at the bigger events, like, okay, well, I'll just use Tour de France for this, yeah, this I was example. Say. You know, there was an entire devotion on, on uh, um, TV coverage for mm -hmm. the Tour de France this year. And um, they made a real big stump for it to try to advertise and get people to watch it. And I think this was actually the most watched year ever for the women. Yeah. And uh so yeah, they're they're trying to do that, and a lot of the other larger races, uh, whether that be road or or mountain biking or gravel cycling, they they are trying to make a push towards more inclusivity uh, for women in particular, um, which is is nice because I would like to have more women out there that I can compete with and commiserate with and and bitch alongside when we hurt. You know, I mean it. <laughs> Cause you know, we hurt different than the guys hurt. So yeah, definitely different experience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if someone listens to this and haven't heard of these ultra endurance things, do you have like tips? Like what's the, like the top three things that they should be worrying about that they should, or they should set goals. What, what things should they be considering if they're thinking about doing these type of events? Good question. And it doesn't have to be three. I'm um, just like throwing a number out. Well, the first thing I can think of is never think that you can't do it because if I can do it and, and, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. No, I, I mean that if I can do it, anybody can do it. I have a very demanding job. I work 50 to 60 hours a week, whether that be in the clinic or at home doing stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I have a house to take care of. I have family that I need to take care of. Um, and, and I can still find the time to train for these things. And it really kind of comes down to mindset and desire and priorities. You know, I mean, there are only 24 hours in a day. So to train for these things, sadly, I have to let some other things go. And, and um, that oftentimes did mean, okay, guys, I can't go out to this get together because I have to wake up at four in the morning to go on this seven hour bike ride or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there is a bit of a sacrifice with it, but if you want it, if, if that's something that you want to do to 
as a sense of accomplishment or for whatever other reason to qualify for something else or whatnot. Sometimes you just need to put the chin down to the grindstone and just go, you know? So, um, so I would, I'd say that's the number one thing is don't think that you can't, you just have to know what to do to make it happen. Um, secondly, I think it is helpful to talk to people that have done it, uh, just to kind of get some insight on what they did to train for it. Uh, again, I'm, I'm fortunate that I happen to know a lot of, uh, endurance racers just because I've been doing this for so long. And I have an amazing coach that's helped get me through all of these events, you know, triple anvil all the way up to this last one at gravel worlds and, and everything in between. Um, so it, it just helps to talk to people that have been there and done it. So you can kind of get some inside Intel and, and, uh, tips of the trade on how to train, what to eat, when to sleep, um, you know, all, all the little nuances that you really don't think of leading into, into race day. So, um, I can't really think of a third reason. No, no, Those that, are two, that's perfect. Two yeah, good ones, good. I think. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, since I think, I think we've, we've hit on the endurance events pretty well. Kyle, do you have anything more on that subject before I completely change gears? Nope. All good. All good. Okay. <laughs> Now it's time to put your your vet smock on, scrubs putting, on. Putting the stethoscope around my neck. Here we go. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so, um, I imagine you're not taking DD on these long runs and these long, long events, especially not on the bike. But what kind of stuff do you do outdoor with your dog? So, since I've only had her um, a little or, over a month, yeah. we've been relegated to walking and hiking. Um, I did just last week hook her up to my running leash for the first time and we did some run walking so she could kind of get nice. used to that. She's really, really good on the leash. Uh, my, my other dog Dodge was a chronic drag you down the road kind of a guy until he settled <laughs> in and she doesn't do that. She's right alongside you for the whole thing. So it's really kind of nice that I don't have to worry about training that part of all of this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we've been starting to work with that. Uh, there's a kind of an old gag going around my group of running friends that, uh, oh, we're going to train her to go run the dog mile, which is a race. I, I think it's in Colorado if I'm not. No, I'm sorry. It's in California. And it literally is a mile of dogs racing kind of down a hill. And it's it's <laughs> it's just all fun. But yeah. we're going to go break the dog mile world record. That's that's our goal. <laughs> And I, it will nice. not be me running DD. <laughs> it will be one of my much faster friends doing it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're working up to. And I'm hoping that next year we can start going camping with her. Nice. Um, it was a little bit too late in the year this year to train her to tent camping and things like that. Yeah. But next year I would love to go start doing some camping uh, with her so that we can get out literally in the middle of nowhere and just hike to our heart's desire and go get dirty. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So what are some do's and don'ts for adventuring with the pups or I guess any other, eh, it's mostly dogs because you're not going to hike a long way with a cat. Although one of our previous guests does go hiking with his cat. One know. of one of my very good clients hikes with her cat. Really? Mm -hmm. She yeah. puts her in a backpack that looks like a little spaceship. And Ooh. hikes with her, and she, and she loves it. Her name is Cuddles. She's an awesome cat. <laughs> Sweet. I've seen okay, that on the trails cool. here. Yeah, the cat walks on a leash until it gets tired, and then 
they pick up the cat and they put it in the backpack and then they go. Yep. Yep. So it's I becoming a little more question. common. I, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's adorable personally. Um, cause that's something you never would have seen 10 years ago, no. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream, which I think is just awesome. But yeah, do's and don'ts, pet tips. Um, do teach your dog good manners on a leash. Numero uno. So uh, they, they should not be dragging you down a trail or off the side of a trail if they smell something that they want to go chase mm -hmm. after. Um, so, yeah, teaching them to heal and not to drag and pull would be a great place to start. Uh, the other thing that I am this this is a hill I will die on is before you let your dog off leash, make sure that they have good recall. So mm. if they do not come back to you, when you ask them to come back to you, then they do not belong off a leash. Um, that's just asking for trouble. Yep. And I've come into more situations than I can count when I had my other dog, Dodge, who loves people, but was not a fan of other dogs. And we'd be out walking at, at a park or, you know, on a trail or whatnot. And somebody's other dog would be off leash and they'd be like, Oh, don't worry. My dog's friendly. And I'd yell back, my dog's not, and he's going to eat you and your dog. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing you kind of have to think about when yeah. you have the friendly, boisterous, happy, everybody loving golden retriever next to my Doberman pincher who doesn't like other dogs. So that, that could always end up in a, in a problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, make sure that your dog has good recall before you trust them off leash and always ask somebody else with their dog if you can approach them before just approaching those are like the three cardinal mm -hmm. rules of being on a trail with your dog so those are all the big do's um, for that now if you're wanting to train your dog for an endurance race it's very similar to training a person for an endurance race you have to train up for the distance you can't just expect them to go out and run 10 miles off the bat Although they're probably in better shape than we are naturally, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can't just expect that. Um, so couch to 5k for dogs, there's actually training programs out there. You can search for them wow. on Google. It's, it's kind of cute and fun, but they, they do exist. And um, it's actually really fun to run with your dog if they are well behaved on their leash and isn't, they aren't trying to jut in front of you and trying to trip you while you're trying to run yeah. at speed. Cause that's definitely not a fun way to end your run is with yeah. road rash. Um, also, if you live in an area like Trevor and I live where it's cold in the winter time, you need to be aware of salt on the roads because mm -hmm. that can burn their feet. Uh, so uh, making sure that they have protection or that you're washing their feet when they come inside right away uh, they also can get frostbitten if it's too cold outside. So you got to be aware of that. And short-haired dogs probably need some sort of coat protection as well. Your Malamutes and your Huskies that really are not meant to live anywhere south of Canada anyway, they don't give a rip. <laughs> they're they're going to be happy as a clam <laughs> in the cold. But anybody else that's shorter coated, so again, like my dog, the Doberman Pinscher, he and she, they they need jackets when they're outside and they're not actively running. Um, gosh, and oh, always have water handy because dogs don't sweat like we do. So they overheat really easily. They still need to drink like we do too, but they also need to be kept cool in the summer. So using water to help keep them cool uh, will help to prevent overheating issues. 
Um, what about the doggy booties during the winter? Train your dog to them. They work amazing. Yeah, Sweet. but you have to train your dog to them because if you just put them on and expect your dog to be okay with it from day one, they are, they yeah, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you're going to have a good laugh for like you'll have the a first good laugh, few times. You'll have a so... bad time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. I think it's time. So I asked this of everybody and it's just to, to show we're all human. We all make mistakes, but what is your biggest outdoor mistake? So the first thing that comes to my mind is when I was doing a, a race in Nicaragua, um, it was called Fuego y Agua survival run. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was an entire race of mistakes. The, the whole thing was one giant mistake. <laughs> um, if you have to sign a waiver that says, if I get lost, hurt or die, it's my own damn fault. That's your first clue that you should run Yeesh. the other direction. So uh, no, I mean, in all seriously, it, it really was a, a, a great race. It was just really, really hard. So there, the race has checkpoints. It's kind of like a, an adventure race, if you will. You have to get to various checkpoints, like a stage race. And uh, there was a volcano called Volcan Concepcion that we had to climb. And I was, uh, I was on a team. My partner's name was Scott. And we uh, began hiking up this volcano after needing to climb a tree to grab the materials to make a slingshot, which is just a side note. But anyway, this volcano, 364 days out of the year, is cloud-covered and nice and cool. So we prepared to bring three liters of water each with us, thinking we've only got a mile hike straight up. Three liters should be plenty to get us up this volcano and back down. Sounds very sane. We hiked up this volcano the one day out of the year that there was no cloud cover and it was 90 freaking degrees out. And we ran out of water less than a third of the mile up this volcano. And there is no water at the top. Let me remind you of that. So uh, I think, I think 90 some odd people started this race. Scott and I were one of 12 to make it to this checkpoint. Oh, wow. If that gives you any indication of what happened on that volcano, everybody was dying on it. We make it up to the top. Managed to use the slingshot to hit the target that we needed so we didn't fail that section. But by then we were so dehydrated that coming down was every bit of danger that you could possibly think. We were unbalanced, hallucinating, stumbling. Uh, I was making complete nonsensical sentences. So was Scott by this point. I, I specifically remember seeing a rock and thinking it was a hippopotamus um, somewhere along the line. And the sad thing is we had uh, another couple of friends had caught up with us and I saw the rock and said, does that look like a hippo to you? And Cami said, yeah. And I know it's not supposed to be a hippo, but that really does look like a hippo because <laughs> we were all just so destroyed from this yeah. race. So um, I, I guess the error in judgment and not just taking the time to look up and go, huh, there's no cloud cover. Maybe we should take more water. We just did not take the five seconds to think about that because there was such a, a scramble for time to begin with. There really is no mm -hmm. spare time in this race. You were just constantly going. And um, yeah, that was a, a big epic mistake. 
we almost died that day. <laughs> yeah. That fits the bill for sure. <laughs> all right. So my last one is just a catch all because I come up with a bunch of these questions, but I'm not perfect. But uh, is there a question we should be asking you that I just like swung and missed? I don't know. I I can't really think of anything because these are all pretty well thought out, very well planned questions. Um, one thing that I, I think we should all be asking is what next? Like, yeah, I like that. What's next? I wish I had the answer for you. I don't know. I, I don't know what's next for me um, mm. just yet. I still haven't planned out my 2024 season. My hope is that I can actually take a backseat to Rick and because he's on the comeback trail. He had a knee injury and uh, was he's rehabbing right now. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe I can Sherpa him a little bit next year yeah. and can spend some time in the spotlight because this girl is is uh, a little tired right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and Rick's been there supporting you for forever. Oh, God. So he's been my Sherpa through everything. Every crazy, stupid idea I have ever come up with. Hey, you want to go to Nicaragua and do this race where I may die? Cool. Let's go get some plane tickets, Ande. Okay. Yeah. Or, or hey, hey, Rick, you want to go do Garmin Gravel Worlds with me? Yeah, that sounds like fun. How, how far is it? 300 miles. What? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, he, he is just undeniably my biggest supporter and, um, but he races too and he's, he's a yeah. damn good runner and I would like to see him get back there on the comeback trail. So I would have no problem being his Sherpa at, at this point for 2024. Yeah. I'll still find something to do. You guys know how, no, of course, how it goes, of course. but all right. Well, I don't know if we have anything else, so I think it's time to bring it on home. Um, yeah, Andy, do you want to plug anything? How do people get in touch with you, follow what you're up to? Um, well, my Instagram handle is Raven's Wild Wind, but I will fully admit that I post on Didi the Dobie's Instagram handle way more than I do my own. So you can follow Didi, my dog, nice. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> But that's just it. I'm really not on social media. Show notes. Yeah, I'm I'm not on social media all that much. I post my dog and then when I finish a race I'll post that, but other than that I'm really I'm really bad about stuff like that. No, that's fine. <laughs> um yeah, I guess do you, like you kind of gave a good plug for Garmin Gravel Worlds. If you want to plug any like great or, or yeah, I guess that's a good thing. What's a good introduction in like ultra endurance type of race, not like the crazy day and a half ones. So I am on the staff of uh, the Sisu iron, which is yeah. a 40 uh, ish hour endurance race. I won't call it an adventure race because it's, it's really not about finding checkpoints. It's about completing tasks and moving on to the next task. And I've been on staff since 20, 16. I did the race in 2014 and 2015 and finished it both times. Um, I actually won the Iron Woman in 2015. Nice. Uh, but my buddy Darren, uh, who's the uh, the head honcho of Team Sisu and uh, the Sisu Endurance thing, uh, asked me to come on to staff it thereafter. So I've kind of been with them ever since. And it really is a one of a kind event. And 40 hours sounds like a very long time. 
but there's a lot of breaks uh, in in between. So there's time to catch up and it's it's not a breakneck speed type of an event. So somebody that is not necessarily the fastest can absolutely outlast some of the faster athletes uh, that are out there. And it's it's an amazing event out in California. Um, their Instagram is sisu.endurance. Um, so you can check them out. We actually just announced the next uh, Sisu Iron um, dates this last week, which is ironically adventure racer style. It's actually a team event uh, this year. So it'll be a team of four. And uh, you can choose your own adventure when it comes to picking your teammates. Sweet. I will add that to the show notes for everybody. But cool. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it on home. So yeah, the best way to support the podcast is rate us five stars and write us a review. Uh, if you sent, write a review, I'll read it. I'll read it online. You can be famous. <laughs> um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram. It's at mere mortal pod. You can send us an email, say we're doing a great job. Um, you can, at work, suggest guests. If you have a guest you really want to hear about, send me a message. I'll reach out. I'm not shy. Um, Kyle still doesn't have any social media. And I don't think he ever will. So keep waving to people that look like Kyle, especially if you're in central Pennsylvania. Um, you can follow my Instagram is at Trevor Bowman, two L's, two N's. Oh, and I forgot to mention uh, the show has a discord server. There's like 10 of us in there, but if that's your thing, you can join discord and I'll chat with you. But yeah, the intro, the info for that's in the show notes, but that's about all I got. So Ande, thanks so much for coming on. This has been great. Thanks for having me, guys. This was I'm fun. I'm all jazzed up about doing more, more events now. I gotta, Heck yeah. <laughs> gotta sign up for stuff. But yeah, thanks again. And we'll see everybody next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.